Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi everybody, welcome along to All Nest, the Irish Examiner Basketball Podcast. I'm Connor Meaty. And I'm Kieran Shannon, columnist with the paper. And Connor, it was great to get up and going last week. Um, decent reaction. Um, one of the one of the reactions we got was uh, to verify the authenticity of the Steph Curry javelin shots that went viral. Did you believe it at the time yourself that he had made all five? No, it's... Uh, <laughs> I think his reaction in between the shots was just it, it's Steph's obviously so unbelievable uh, that the the feat of actually shooting it like you could get to a point where you could believe it, but when he wasn't reacting that much in between them himself, you're kind of like, yeah, no, I don't think this is that real. And we'd seen one years ago. I don't know if you remember it, the LeBron one where he was just like jump sure. shooting from the far baseline. So um it was kind of with a pinch of salt i saw but it's still he i guess it's a measure of just how amazing he is that people had to ask the question well this is it i mean we've seen uh there's one of them going 105 straight from the corner uh there's there's been loads of them where just from practice he he starts under the basket ends up at the halfway line back to the three-point line he makes every one but he actually made two out of five I mean, mm-hmm. the most famous, we're, we're an Irish basketball podcast and probably the most famous shot was, was the famous Gerald Kennedy shot to win a league for Neptune from 74 feet. And I'm sure Gerald actually did it and tried it again in an All-Star game the following week and didn't make it. And like, I'd say if Gerald took a hundred of them, he'd be doing well to make it a second time. So for Steph to make two out of five was still pretty good. And uh, just Shane Keegan, um, a lot of us would know from soccer, back, uh, obviously a top soccer coach, but obviously is big into the other sports. And he, he asked us to check that out for him. So Shane, that was the story there. Just one thing on Sh- Shane is a, a Marion College past pupil, part of the, the Marion family. He was in uh, my brother's class. So it's... Uh, what was that? Because right? yeah, I well and he's big into all the sports he helps out ga coaching and and is big into the notion of transferable skills so that's probably where a bit of that comes from he, he's, he's from the marion stable as well yeah yeah we we have a not a huge school but there's we've a few kind of sporting people dotted around the country in like league of ireland cricket basketball a few of those so yeah he's one of ours 
Right. Right. Well, speaking of Marion basketball, you're, you're still keeping the flag and you're still shooting them up yourself. And um, yeah. just when we were checking in there, just before we went on, like, listen, we're, we're on about the cup last weekend, but you were playing in the cup yourself. Yeah, yeah, still going, uh, holding on for dear life, uh, kind of at the end of it, but uh, playing with our Division One team. So in intermediate cup, uh, played last weekend. So got a good win. So heading down now, we'll be part of that cup semi final weekend in Cork, which is exciting. Uh, and I'm getting to go up against my my old roommate in uh, when we went to China uh, with that Irish select team, Martins Provisors. So. A nice, okay. a, a nice heavyweight matchup in uh, the intermediate cup there. Yeah, uh, I remember Connor. You were in a couple of cup semi-finals. I remember the first time I met you was interviewing you before um, a cup semi-final on on the Wednesday. I think I met you, and you went down to the Mardike on the Friday night, and and you lit it up. You're going back down to Cork. You're going to be part of. I was writing myself about what we would call an early the big dance of Irish basketball is is that cup weekend in Cork. And we have a scenario where the primary host club, Neptune Stadium, is the centerpiece of land. Obviously, the Proca Hall and the Mardike will be available. But Neptune themselves won't be part of it um, in terms of their Super League team. Um, I was at it. You you followed it, I know, online. What, what struck you about that game? I think just the... The resolve of Aino was really impressive that they went down 19-6 early on and uh, did kind of go away from what they wanted to do and stuck with their plan and started chipping away as the game went on. And high-scoring game, but Aino have just so many offensive options that they eventually were able to keep finding a different option at different stages of the game. And they probably had one or two extra options and uh, Neptune did down the stretch and uh, it was an incredibly impressive uh, win, and it's another worrying loss for for Neptune over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's two ways of looking at it. It's a game that Aina won, but you look at it as a game that Neptune lost because they were in control at that start. I suppose we'll come back to Neptune in a bit, but just from you know, on end watching Aina, like we were on with Kieran last week, and he talked about how he felt the home court might sway it for Neptune. But I was conscious of. Um, Kieran himself and Tralee brought a great crowd down, uh, I suppose, just a month before COVID, uh, the Cup semi-final weekend in 2019. And Aina really enjoyed being the party poopers. It was a different kind of game in that it, that was a real low-scoring game, uh, whereas the second half in particular last weekend was a high-scoring, up-tempo game. But some of the similarities were still there, namely just how what a hard-nosed team Aina are. And we're going to be talking to Mark in a bit. Uh, like what struck me, and even it reminded me a little bit of, again, Kieran, because I've seen Kieran, you know, when Kerry or Tralee have been struggling, just the energy he gives. I was struck when Darren took his time calling the first time up, but when he did, it had gone up to 19-6, Nepsham were rolling. But I was struck by Scotty Kinnevin, an old teammate of yours, just bounding off the bench and just clapping hands and encouraging boys, like as if to say, all right, look, 19 points is going to win them the game. You know, we'll be okay. Then he came on and really, again, just moved the ball really well, getting the ball into Mark. Top Wilson really took control there at the end of that first quarter, second quarter. And then in the second half, 
with Jordan Blunt and uh, Sabata and a bit of foul trouble, J Jenkins went to Sean Jenkins, who obviously is a former Neptune boy and was really up for it. He, he, he played really well in the league game a few weeks ago as well. Like he had a point to prove in the second half. Like he was one option that they really had. Um, so the, like they are a hard-nosed team. They're actually, they've been so to the last three cup semi-finals in Neptune. They're 1-1 one, one last one. But I really like the look of them. But look, I suppose it's just as much about Neptune. And it's a, as you said, it's a, it's, and you've been watching them more in the league than perhaps I have. I've seen the two Demons games, but you, you watched it taking on a couple of other games. Why, why do you think they're maybe losing down the stretch? Um, it's tough. It's, it's funny. It's, uh, I was, I was thinking about this yesterday and, uh, Neptune, I think it's uh, a measure of the club that they are and the history that they have and the talent that they have that we probably hold them under a, a microscope in a way that we probably don't to some of the other teams. And um, it's they, they have so much ability and a, a great coach and everything else. And I think one of the issues that I've kind of flagged over the couple of weeks is that I think they're so reliant on uh, Jordan Blount and uh, Roy Downey to, to create everything for them that when it comes down the stretch, if, if they've been reliant on those guys to create everything all game long, then teams kind of lock in in the fourth quarter down the stretch and you don't get those same options. Whereas, like, on the flip side, Aina, yeah, Josh Wilson has the ball in his hands a lot, but they have so many different guys who are able to create and find matchups that it puts your defense under a huge amount of pressure and it allows different people at different stages of the game to kind of... Uh, how, much of it, how much of it do you think that Aina were able to get the hoop? so easily how much of it do you think was that like blunt yeah, and Spaz, or were in a bit of foul trouble or how much of it is maybe they just aren't well, as a team particularly one one to one good defenders or or even just collectively yeah i think it's a collective thing more more so than anything it's uh for the last couple of years like even last season when neptune were doing very well they they played a lot of zone that allowed them to kind of run out of the zone a, a lot and um they like the Neptune front line is ten enough. Like Sabata is really the only five who's on uh, who's on the the entire squad, and then when when Jordan gets into foul trouble, it puts them under immense pressure. And one of the things that uh, like Aina are able to take advantage of it because they have so many different guys who are able to kind of post up and find different matchups. Not a lot of teams are able to take advantage of it in the same way. So it's almost a kind of combination of. Yeah, the Neptune had their own issues, but they came up against a, a really a tough matchup. And we may be over, like, I might be overlooking some of this stuff. And, uh, like, they, they've lost three times in the last four games, but two of those have been to Neptune or to Aina. And maybe it's just it's a particularly bad matchup for them. But uh, there are certainly concerns that on your home floor, like, your, your home floor giving up. What was it? Ninety-seven points. At the end is like it, Colin won't be happy with that. The Colin game went into the high nineties as well, you know. And you would think it would be suited to him because look, offensively, as you said, look, maybe they're relying a lot on Sabat in the fight. Look, Jordan's very versatile. I think he's there's just that balance between being leadership and assertiveness and not taking on too much. You could see it five minutes to go. Like I, I thought in the Demons game, he was nearly Strickland-esque in that he went at it in the first quarter and then in the second half was happy to defer almost like Smith Strickland used it to Smith and they went into Sabata. I think Sabata had 37 points or something in the demons game. Um, he started well, it was nice sprinkling. Uh, then he got into the foul trouble. I was surprised Colin kept him in on two fouls with one forty-six to go in the first. Uh, not only did he stay in there and he picked up the third foul, 
he, he started the third quarter and then you could see with five minutes to go and it was tied in Jordan said right I'm taking this over and he got two very good baskets but it was nearly a little nearly it's a balance between you know showing assertiveness and, and not overly forcing it and then one or two didn't come off and then all of a sudden while the boys in uh, were scoring at the other end freely and uh, you know they, they came up with a great defensive stop to get themselves into a position to hit the three uh, they drew it up for Roy, who kept them going in the third quarter when it was like a heavyweight, you know, throwing punches at each other. And it was often Roy being the one that landed. But, you know, they're having difficulty, like, as to where Jordan Evans fits into that equation, you know. Like, I, I, I didn't exactly get how much he exactly scored. He got about the 16 to 18. Yeah, he, he had 16. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, he, he, I'd say he was 8 for 11 or 12. He didn't miss too much, but not much was overly drawn for him and he's not great maybe driving to the hook which they might need a little bit more of but you know he's he's a handy player but they're they're just finding it hard to get the right mix like I, I was impressed with let's say Adam Heafy came in and contributed and I, I still like their roster there's just it's getting that balance and roles um they're, they're with the league format being what it is um you know, to get a top four place, and now there's it's it's going to be competitive. I mean, they're they're losing games. Truly, tend to get good at this time of year, albeit they're maybe not as strong as they've been in previous years. Like they're going to jockey for, but in other words, they could get it right by March. You know, um, and the league is still um, obviously huge, particularly for a club like Neptune. It's coming up twenty years. Um, they just feel like I was impressed with the, the match day presentation. They're trying a lot right, but they have to get it right on the court. Um, uh, and they they have to hold it together. Now, I just saw things after the game that just struck me as, whoa, they're going to have to manage this now over the next couple of weeks because losing a cup, you can go one of two ways. Um, I, we've seen... Truly have rallied from cup defeats before and pushed on to contend or win. Um, Neptune themselves historically have done it, but that's a, it's 20 years since they last won a league. So they, they've got to win the next two weeks to win the rest of the season, the league. It will it, it will be one of the most fascinating storylines. But look, the cup, uh, they're out of the cup and Aina are going into the cup. I mean, before we just come back to Aina and, and, and we're talking to one of their main men, what else struck you about uh, looking at the, the league overall, the cup overall, the last round? Yeah, I think the, my big takeaway from the whole weekend was that um, there was no kind of cup surprises in terms of not even upsets or anything else, but people playing above themselves are differently than they had been in the league. It was very consistent with what we've already seen. Like the issues that you highlight with Neptune are things that we've already seen snippets of already so far this year. When you get into people like like Leicester lost away to Ballincollig in a low-scoring game, again, the same sort of issues. Uh, Paul Dick and uh, their, their Bosman and Don um, scored the majority of points, but they didn't have a huge amount of support elsewhere. They tried to bring back in Kieran Rowe and Paddy Sullivan, who both have had kind of long-term, uh, like lots of injury issues and different things. And sometimes in the cup, you might get a, a little bit of magic where suddenly someone out of nowhere is able to put in a huge performance. But you didn't really get that. And I think the, the big one that I, I really enjoyed watching and uh, I kind of wrote about it was the, the Marie game, the University of Galway Marie win over uh, Belfast Star. Because... 
Um, they really got, uh, like, Star went down and it was in uh, Calisanctus or more, which is not an easy place to play. And Star really asked them questions and were up 11 in the third quarter. And um, one of the things that was really interesting in it was that, uh, like, we had asked about whether the Irish players had enough kind of about them to answer the big questions when they were asked them. And, uh, like, we got... Uh, Owen Rockall in particular and Stephen Cummins were, were fantastic and one of the things that I think I took away from that game and it's a huge credit to Charlie Crowley um, who just got a coach of the month there is that like particularly in knockout basketball but as the season goes along you tend to see that you go in with a game plan but then it's all about finding solutions to whatever problem is in front of your face and it's just Kind of, I know Paul O'Connell always talks about winning that next uh, like battle in front of your face. And uh, Star were were causing a lot of issues. And uh, Sean Briggs, their American, is a big wing who's able to cause problems. And they didn't have a matchup that was working well for them. Um, Jared Hines, uh, Haynes is the point guard for for Marie again, player of the month la, uh, for the this past month. And Charlie, who's a young coach, had the had enough confidence in himself and his team that he went away from Jared Hines and uh, brought in their other American who plays a little bit less and was able to kind of do a good enough defensive job on, on Briggs. And it's over the course of the, the year, you just have to be able to find these solutions. And it was very impressive that uh, Marie were able to find those solutions. The The big talk though around the league at the moment is that um, Ms. Vulo, I'm absolutely sure I've butchered his name, but they're, they have a six or five uh, kind of British uh, shooting guard who's been fantastic. He had 33 at the weekend, and by all accounts, he's about to go and uh, he's, he's leaving the country to go sign, uh, I think, over in Asia, which is a huge kind of takeaway from, from Marine because he's been absolutely fantastic, averaging over 20 points a game for the whole uh, season so far. And not only that, but he's athletic, kind of long, 6'6", able to do lots of different things. And it's going to be a big uh, question now over the next couple of weeks of how Marie figure out ways again to, to fix that problem in front of their face. How do they plug that gap? And uh, it's, it's going to be one to watch. And uh, we have an immediate uh, uh, kind of interesting one in the league this week where Belfast are going straight back down there to play again. So it'll be interesting to see what it's going to look like without Masvulo kind of having that influence on the game and uh, how kind of Murray uh, solved that issue. So, um, Murray's yeah. a fascinating one. I mean, I was going to, like as you said, no, they're down him and this will be a real test of them. But last last weekend was a test in itself because I suppose I was going to ask the question, are they for real? Like, because we've had one of the good things that's happened over the last decade, we've had the emergence of Moy Cullen, underage and... They've sustained a Super League programme and maybe haven't been contending, but even being able to be staying in the league and keep bringing through homegrown players. Um, like we we're just saying, historically, um, like we've never had a Galway team win the top prize in the men's game or indeed the women's game for all the players they've produced because of maybe immigration. Like the likes of owns. Sister Claire obviously gravitated to Cork and Glenmire. I haven't been in the States the same with Michelle Fahey, who's been, you know, won everything going with Glenmire and UL. Um, but we have, like, it's become, it, like, like, I was doing something that will appear in a year or two, the, the history of the sport. Um, 
uh, for a UCC or putting together the history of Irish sport. I was doing it for basketball and doing a geographical map of where the silverware has gone. And the West, outside of Ballon now, obviously powered by Diora and obviously the McHales, um, you know, they won two cups and a, and a league in, in, in the first half of the 90s. We haven't had that out west and in Galway, like we've had teams win Division One and Galway Democrats had that tradition in the eighties. Um, like it would be, it would be a massive breakthrough for Galway. Now they're going to the cup; they're in the cup semi-final. Um, it would be. Can you see? Is it still possible? Can a between how they adjust the parts they have? Do they need to recruit? But do you think it's it's still on? And what what from someone who's gone traverse the country? What, what do you think that would represent a Galway team going all the way? Do I think it's still possible? Yes, uh, absolutely. I think they, they have a matchup in the Cup semi-final that they'll really like against Vincent's team who haven't really been at that stage for a long time themselves. This is going to be the second year in a row now that Marie are back there, so they have that little bit of familiarity. Uh, like they, they have good pros, really solid big guys who like are a really tough matchup. And then... Look, they've lost an important player, but at the same time, it's probably the position that they have most Irish players capable of kind of uh, plugging the gap. And they've they've guys there who, like Stephen Cummins was excellent last week. Oh, Rockall can uh, certainly do a lot. Carl Finn, who played with us for a number of years, played in two cup finals, won a cup final in the past. He was our best player in the 2019 cup final against Colester. And he's there as an experienced guy as well. So... And like they, they, I, I still think that they are going to be very difficult to beat, and they have a great opportunity to to do something really special this year. Um, what that would mean? Look, it's uh, for for far too long. And when you talk to people about basketball, they kind of go, "Oh, that's big in Dublin and Cork," and that's kind of the for people outside the sport. That's kind of what they that's what they know. And you're trying to get across to people, uh, certainly when I was in Basketball Ireland, we were trying to get across this idea that, no, it's like a, a full national sport where there's, yes, there's pockets in all the big cities, but there's also emerging places. And for for Galway, I think one of the challenges that existed for a number of years was that a lot of guys obviously were, were leaving Galway for work and different things. And it kind of decimated teams at times where, even Marie, a couple of years ago, when they came up into National League, it was on the back of one of the most successful underage teams ever in Ireland with the likes of Liam Conroy. And those guys all kind of emigrated and different things. So they never got to actually have the success at senior level. So if they're able to to kind of put it all together, it would be absolutely huge. And um, I think NUIG have been really good supporters of basketball for the last couple of years and it would validate a lot of what they're doing as well and i think it, could be, it, it has the potential to be tip of the iceberg so far they could really go uh, kind of build something over the next couple of years because with owen rockall he's what 24 years old he he's a centerpiece i think of uh, of teams for a number of years there if he stays down in galway and could have a, a huge amount of success if you put the right people around him so uh, I'd have I'd have a lot of hope for them. Yeah, no, because it's interesting you said. I remember writing a preview. I think it was at twenty fifteen and looking at the at who was in the league at the time, and it was just it was it was frightening how much it was Dublin and Cork centric. But since then, we've had Star win a league. We've had Tralee obviously win a couple of leagues and a cup and a couple of champions trophies. Um, so we've had that spread 
you know, and, and now for a team out west, and it just it shows that there's a nice balance to the league between having the provincial towns in 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 in, in Tralee. We've had Star with the Dublin and Cork teams. Are, we're going to still have Cork representation in the cup with Emporium Cork. And now we obviously still have two teams. It's great to see Vincent's back. I mean, they've made the big step to go back into uh, into the Vincent's gym as opposed to the DCU. Um, they may be a little overpowered, but it's, it's a weekend like that that really gives a, a lease to a club. And look, then we have Aina that we've been speaking about, and we're going to talk to one of their main men now. Mark, welcome to the, the Examiner podcast. Um, was that beard as thick? Um, it didn't look as thick as that on Saturday night seeing you in the flesh. No, I've been cultivating this for quite a while. So. <laughs> yeah. coming through it looks nice. I see Connor's yeah. cut his. This is a different length every time I see him. <laughs> <laughs> um, here, Mark, just, you've got an interesting backstory. Um, you're only someone I've seen really play in the flesh. Uh, so it would be it would be wrong to say you know are you an overnight uh, success at, at this stage you know it's taken a long time to be it but look the other night you were sensational tell me just what was it like going down to Cork what was the mindset going into Cork and what was the mindset when you were nineteen six down yeah so well just first of all thanks for having me on the show and I really really enjoyed the first episode I think this is well needed from two people who have great opinions on the sport in, in Ireland so this is fantastic to see but yeah to come back to your question about Aina and where we are now um, we've got a bit of a lineup change this year um, obviously two year or two seasons ago we got to the final and we kind of came out of nowhere of sorts um, lost uh, Stefan Zezovic he's gone to Vincent's uh, had a bit of a lineup change Sean Jenkins came back and he's added some stuff there so yeah we came down we know Neptune obviously with Jordan Blount back they're, they're really like obviously pushing, you know, we haven't got to the final the year before. So our expectation was, um, we didn't really have an expectation. We just said, we're going to have to play well and we're going to have to see how Neptune play and what they do. Uh, we lost Marco. So we, we kind of, uh, I've been kind of, uh, you know, foot in, foot half in the door, foot half out the door this year because I've got a baby and I started a new job. So um, I've not really had the time to kind of lift as much, uh, you know, shoot as much. So, um, I was trying to do the backup role a bit more this year, so I got thrust back into the main lineup and was told I was going to play 30 minutes. So, again, wasn't actually sure what was going to happen, but um, we just kind of went for it. Uh, yeah, and I, I feel like it just went, it, it kind of, things are starting to come together with the new lineup change uh, and gelled really well for us uh, on the day. So we were uh, probably a bit of luck there. Um, Josh is just very good at, at pick and roll uh, reads. So he kind of, we have shooters and uh, yeah, basically, I, I was kind of just rolling to the basket to try and create some some uh, attention on the inside. So that it just, uh, I think their defense is probably something Neptune need to, you know, probably work on in my view. Uh, I think that's a, a gap for them. Saying that, they in, did what, start in what way? Game. In what way? Yeah, um... I I think like I mean, you know, it's probably pretty obvious to most people, but I think just like in terms of them being on a string in, in terms of rotations, it just it really isn't there. And I think that's a that's a thing they might be aware of. And 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 Jordan, I think he had an interview, he talks about them competing as well. I think there was a hunger in our team this year uh, mm. playing against them that I saw that I didn't really see with them. And I, I even heard they have some kind of locker room issues that they're trying to sort out. So there's probably a lot of factors that go into it. But saying that, they went up big at the start and I think they took their foot off the gas. Uh, we didn't panic. Uh, showed a lot yeah, of composure. I was, I, I, I was struck, Mark, I mean, just by yourself. Um 
like they went to you quite a bit early. I thought you you kept kept keeping the team in it, but I was struck uh, at nineteen six down, and it's just a small thing, but it, you look out for these things. I was I was struck by the demeanour of your bench, particularly Scotty Clinavan, just was bounding out of the. When the timeout was called, there was nobody getting on top of anybody. It was all just encouragement, clapping. And I, I, I believe that sort of thing creates an emotional contagion. It was like, we're still okay. Like, you were in that huddle. What was the tone from Darren, let's say, at that first timeout? Yeah, um, like, so just to go back to your point about someone like Scott, like, what he adds to the team, and maybe Connor can speak to this, is it's, uh, it's hard to measure because he brings an intensity and a toughness in training. Uh, and and he's he's a real talker in the locker room. So his his addition, why he might come on and play some minutes and, and do some things to the team in terms of camaraderie, he's he's huge. Um, so really huge addition for us, I think. Um, but yeah, just out of that timeout, Darren, you know, he he doesn't tend to panic. We've been kind of in these situations before where we've gone down and come back and shown resilience. So he just said, we stick to the plan. They've made some shots. We haven't hit them. Uh, they came out at a ferocious tempo uh, and me having not been in the starting lineup wasn't really ready for that so I, I was just looking around and I came in and said they're not going to keep this up so we stick with it uh, we keep taking the higher percentage shots that we're looking for um, and those percentages well at the end of the game they're taking contested threes you know the percentages aren't there at the end of the game if you're still taking those shots in the fourth quarter uh, my bet would be on the team that's taking the higher percentage shots so that's what we were talking about in those conversations in the in the in the um, in now, Mark, just uh, so we'll come back to Scott in a minute, but so the, the two losses that you have so far this season were early on, and w- one of the one of the questions are around Aina at times over the last couple of years when they've had so many different guys coming in and out is that they almost had too much talent at times that they couldn't decide who was going to shoot the ball or anything else, and yet. I guess partially because of injuries to a few people, the rotation's a little bit shorter than it probably would have been otherwise. And there seems to be, over the last kind of month in particular, it's really kind of settled into a, a pretty nice kind of flow where Josh is running the team at a higher level than he probably has over the last couple of years. And guys are finding their way to get involved in different ways. How is that kind of being developed over the last couple of months and do you guys notice it yourselves that it's a, a kind of a big change like i guess with talented teams where you have lots of different weapons it can be sometimes waiting your turn to, to like oh i haven't shot in a couple of minutes but there doesn't seem to be that at the moment within the, the, the team that there seems to be a, a a patience around what you guys are doing of look we'll find the right person and someone's going to have the right shot um it just seems to be evolving over the last uh, couple of weeks yeah, like the, for for me, like genuinely, that's a credit to Darren and, and, and what he preaches every every time we are training, which is that we need to play as a team, and that needs to happen on both ends of the ball. So he talks about on on, on offense, uh, and this is where I think he plays the right way. It's harder to guard five guys, and he he talks about looking for the the great shot versus the good shot and moving the ball. Uh, and you have guys out there who are probably capable of going one on one, but it's it's just it's more difficult for the other team and we're moving the ball and we're finding open guys and taking the best shot we can get. And, and that's what we've been trying to do. So it does mean guys sacrifice an ego and Darren talks about that all the time. And I think that helps the mindset. So if you continue to repeat that, you want to move the ball and, and find the best shot. And that's what we do. And, and, and in training, if he's, if he's seeing things where guys are taking shots early in the shot clock that where they're not necessarily open, 
he stops it and corrects that and says that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to play our style of basketball, which is move the ball and get the best shot we can get. And Josh is very good at making those reads, so that helps us all. So, yeah. so Mark, going back there, you, you talked about how this year's was a challenge for you. You know that you maybe had to cut back on, on what you put in, but you're you're still committing to Super League basketball. And look, Connor came up with a diplomatic way of how we maybe establish someone's age. That basketball has a language of what year you're born. You know, I'm coaching, let's say, 2011s at the moment and 2007s. Connor is a, a self-declared 1986. Um, he's expecting a new arrival, by the way. Um, oh, congrats! You, you have it, uh, any any day now. Three, very impressed, Connor. You're still suiting up for the intermediate team and going to a Cork uh, a National Cup. But Mark, for yourself, are we right in establishing that you're probably a 1983? 84, January 84. 84, right. So you're younger than Kieran Donaghy. Uh, so there's a few there. So you're not quite the elder statesman of the league, but you're the elder statesman of Aina. And just on that, so at that stage, you've been in the league, you've played abroad, which we'll come to. What What, what is sustaining you? What, what you, you signed up for, yeah, I'm going again. Why? Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, this season I really wasn't. So I was out. I, I told them the guys I was done, and then um, I got a phone call from Darren, um, or a, a voice note, I suppose, a voice note from Darren saying that you know we haven't really found a replacement, and can you come back? And and my initial reaction was, well, I need to talk to my other half and f- figure that out. So I kind of said to her, you know, if I'll do preseason, basically, was what I committed to with Darren and see how it goes. I'm starting a new job and I've got a baby. And I didn't want to have to make a decision where I had what to choose between. Hey, I work in tech, so financial right. tech. Like, yeah, it was a bigger commitment role. Um, and yeah, I needed to commit to that. And I needed to commit to obviously a new family. So uh, I didn't want to have to make a decision where I had to not go to a big game or, you know, miss something to do with the kid or, or work. So I didn't know where the, how that was all going to fit in. So I, I said I, I'd try it, and it's it's working out so far, basically, is the short answer. Right. And, Mark, where does this start? So we're right inside. You're from Lanford, correct? Yeah. So I would have grown up in uh, Falcons, Longford Falcons, which would be Mick Murphy, if you kind of know the club from, from years running back, and uh, would have grown up with some underage teams there. We had some success at school level, and we won under 14 All-Irelands probably beaten like teams like Aina actually funny enough we would have played teams like that uh weirdly played in some community game stuff and won a couple of national uh, medals un- under 13 under 16 uh, community games uh, we would have beaten Castle Island a couple of times in the finals so um there was a group of players there a couple of those guys made national teams a guy called William Murray and Keegan Morrissey um really good players underage and I would have played with them and I would have been a point guard now. I wouldn't have been playing the position I was then. I was about five foot seven. So I was quite, uh, I physically didn't really develop until in my, I, I went from five foot seven when I was 16 to six foot five in a year. So I kind of had some guard skills, but then obviously got some size and developed and got kind of bigger and stronger much later. So I was very late developing physically. So that probably, and then I had to learn the game uh, under the basket. So I kind of, uh, a very late developer, basically. Okay, <laughs> and just on that, there's a lot of talk about late development. What, what do you think is the lesson, like let's say, to coaches um, on your own example? What does it What does it teach us? Yeah, I, 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 it's a tough one because I mean, there's not a lot you can do if you have a kid that hasn't developed physically or hasn't had that growth spurt late, and he can just miss the boat, and you see it all the time. Um, so I don't know that there's a lot you can do about it, but. 
Um, I certainly, you know, because I did, I didn't actually make any of the national teams underage. Very, very small, very skinny kid. I loved the game, but just physically wasn't there and maybe just wasn't skilled enough. And yeah, I would say I actually stopped playing from 15 to 17. Whoa. I didn't, didn't really play that much and stuff. So uh, once I grew and got to university, I kind of fell back in love with it again. So I don't know if there's a lot you can do um, if people develop late as from a coaching standpoint. Uh, you just have to hope that the kid keeps playing if they're interested or things like that. Yeah. Then, Mark, for, pe for people who don't know you as well, so the journey kind of went that you went over to, to Scotland to university did well at kind of university level, kind of at books level and all that sort of stuff. And then just, I guess, the, the couple of years after university, it's you ended up playing at a, a high enough level there in kind of both within England and within Germany. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just quickly how that came about then. Um, so I was playing at university level and there was a thing called the Scottish Universities Select Team and they would play against the English universities and, and Wales and things like that. So the Scotland uh, Universities team, I, I made like three or four years in a row and I, we were doing well with my university in Scotland. Um, and I think we won a Scottish title and won a British title as well, which probably we had no business doing. So uh, I started to like lift a lot over there and, and, and things like that. So that obviously helped as well. And I was six foot six then at that point so um yeah so basically made the scotland select team i think we played a, a friendly game against the scotland senior men's team and i had like 31 or something like that uh, so then we played against uh english unis and, and every year english unis would obviously win because they had you know a lot of players that would be um playing in the english universities which has guys in the bbl that would be on scholarship so they had really strong teams uh, and my third year we B's English Unis, which was the first time we'd ever done that in 40 years. And the Scotland men's team coach was coaching our team as well. And he kind of said to me, you know, you just you just played against a bunch of pros there and you had, well, I don't remember what I have, 14 or 14 or something. He said, maybe you should think about, you know, playing, have you thought about playing at a higher level? So I guess I put some thought into it. I was really enjoying playing and playing well. So I went to, I found a, like a exposure camp, they called it in Italy went over there we got to the final I think I had 25 uh, points and got two offers one in one in Italy one in Germany the German league was probably a lot better um, and it was an offer from a really good team uh, the, the amount of money they were paying me wasn't very much because obviously they're pulling me from obscurity um, so yeah I just went over and took a chance and and played in Pro B what was that like? what was that experience yeah. like yeah, I mean the level was just a massive jump. Like you're playing Scottish universities to like, um, so like physically and athletically, I was there. I think there was a massive gap in my knowledge of the game at that level. You're playing with, I think we had five uh, D1 NCAA players. Some of them had European passports. Um, playing with guys that played at a much higher level. So I learned and developed a huge amount in the year, but probably didn't get the playing time. Um, but it helped me figure out the game and how to play it uh, at a higher level. Uh, athletically, I could compete, but it was catching up on some of the other stuff. So a huge experience. Were, were, were you playing full-time, Mark, or did you also hold on a day? Yeah, what kind of journey was it? Yeah, so we, I played, like, Colin was over there at the time. He was playing for Essen. Um, so we actually met and shook hands at half court, which was really cool. Uh, yes, yeah, so we were playing full-time, so we would have got, like, just under a £1,000 for, for the month just to be – like honest about the money that I was getting. Um, mm -hmm. You got a car, you got an apartment, 
um, and you got food as well. So they were sponsored by local restaurants. So we would go every day for lunch and, and have our food in different restaurants. So fully professional setup, uh, everyone there. There was two younger kids that were both on the German national team, I think, at the time under 16. So they were on the squad as well. Um, and yeah, played the, our point guard was the point guard for Ecuador. So we had like a fully professional setup and they had pulled in players from like yeah, one of the guys from Algeria. So all, all around the world, professional athletes were, were kind of playing in this league. What are the what are the things? Uh, sorry, Karen. It's just uh, when Connor Grace came back and played for Temple Oak in the league a couple of years ago. Is uh, <laughs> sometimes when you have guys who've played at a higher pro level, that it can be sometimes people going, "Oh, why isn't he like a thirty point a, a game scorer or whatever else?" And what you kind of one of the things, and I say the same about John Carroll, is that like. No matter what level he plays, he's going to do exactly the thing that he's really, really good at, and he's going to consistently do it, and that's why he's a pro. And I think it's the biggest compliment I have about you is that you don't go outside of your skill set and that you like fundamentally do the right thing over and over again. And do you think that you evolved as a player in that way because you're in a you're in that sort of environment where you don't have the you don't have the option to kind of go outside yourself whereas sometimes within like if you had stayed in ireland for example you may have been able to develop bad habits in a in a way because you're able to achieve different things outside of what would be your kind of traditional skill set yeah i think honestly it's it's are you playing for the team or are you playing for yourself um for me i see guys sometimes i, I genuinely came onto the ana team and i probably could have come in and taken a lot of shots because you know, I probably could have had that option. I mean, I've played at a higher level and I know I could. And I could probably get really good stats if I if I genuinely was just selfish about it. But just try and be a team guy and, and do the right thing. And I think if you've played at a higher level, you get given that role and you kind of get told that that's what you're doing. Uh, but you're also helping the team. It's a team sport. It's five people. It's not one. So, you you know, you probably can pick the guys out that, that come on the teams and just look for their shots and look for their stats and it's more about them and it's not necessarily always about winning. But, so. but how, how, how difficult is that? Like, that's a concept that we can relate to, you know, you know, let's say in Ireland, we have a lot of J clubs and you're doing it for the, for the sake of the club and the parish, etc. But like you're in Germany there and, you know, I don't think I'd be offending you to say there might be some of your teammates whose name you might even recall. No. So like, and it's very transient. So how easy is it to sell and be part of, yeah, we're a team when, in two years' time, we're going to be scattered to the winds. Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, like any professional sport at any level, or but even amateur sport, you know, you get pulled in and it takes time to gel. So if you don't have that core players, it's, it's tough. Um, like I got pulled in and, and, and they try and, you know, sometimes um, create that, that chemistry and that and that desire to play for the team and meet the meet the people that go to the games and things like that so you just have to you have to kind of buy in and and um you know you kind of just have to have to do your best i suppose mm. uh, uh, mark where were you with the national program so you 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 did get you you were around there around 07 just before the whole thing unfortunately was pulled at the end of 09 right what so just tell us about where you were by that point um yeah, so I, that was a pretty strong squad. I think I made the final 15, but didn't make the final 12. And um, and then after that, it was disbanded. So probably my my peak time when I was playing in the UK and stuff around, you know, between 25 and 28. Um, 
I didn't get a shot at the national team, which is disappointing and, you know, disappointing to me. But then also I think a lot of young kids didn't get to see the national team for years. So you're not getting them seeing any kind of success at that level. So yeah, just kind of probably missed out my best years, which is just, mm. you know, that happens. Uh, it's good to see it back and it's good to see it doing well. So John Carroll and Jordan Blatt and those guys. Um, and I got pulled in there to, to, I think last summer, summer before, just on the squad, just and it was cool to just kind of be involved even in that. Um, so yeah, it was just just uh, unfortunate mm. the timings of it. Uh, I think I probably wouldn't be able to contribute, but that's the way it goes, so, I guess. So, so when did you come back, Mark? How long have you been back playing in the? Uh, three, years, three years. Yeah, three years. Yeah, yeah. So where was your last stint? Where was your last stint abroad? Uh, so I was in London, but again, because I was working in London, I was working in banking with Barclays and Lloyd's Banking Group. I kind of was earning my money there, so didn't really want to take mm. the BBL. Doesn't pay a lot of money, unfortunately, and that's the reality. Is the money you get there probably isn't worth the commitment and the time for me. And that's probably why I didn't continue on the BBL. Did one season there as a postgraduate in Durham University and they had a team in the BBL that year. Um, so that was good. And, and I basically started a graduate scheme then and I was kind of earning my money there. And it just didn't really make sense for me to commit to the BBL and, and, and kind of earn the small amount that they're having there. I kind of wanted to enjoy my time in London. So uh, kind of played in NBL Division 2. Um, and we kind of almost, yeah, we, I think we almost won that and got to, to NBL Division 1. But, yeah, I just didn't feel like, again, an issue in the UK and, and probably in Ireland as well is you don't get really paid enough. So if you've got a job that you're kind of earning the money from, it's very tough to justify continuing on. And, and you'll see that, uh, like I'm friends with Jordan and John, and they've both gone away and played at decent levels, but not really had the money to, to kind of continue that on. And if it's not money you can retire on and your shelf life is... 35 maybe as an athlete for professional level you know it's hard to justify continuing it on and Colin O'Reilly same thing you got to 27 you know you're, you're scraping to get your next deal it's really uh, not secure and you don't know where the future is so it's hard to kind of and there's really no support you're doing this all yourself so, so what is nearly each each person has different circumstances but as a life experience, as a work trainer for a few years, seeing how it goes, like you've no regrets to having tried it, like as opposed to just staying, doing a Conor Meany on it, if, if, no disrespect, Conor, you know, like, are you glad you, you, you sampled that, had that experience as opposed to just, let's say, yeah. stay, going from Dublin Club, you know, for the last 15 years, just staying home? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So I think it's been, it's been eye-opening for me because, Playing the BBL and seeing what's been happening over there and seeing what's been happening in Germany, it opened my eyes to, you know, what could be in Ireland. And I think that's been interesting for me. And, you know, I started a podcast and I've been talking to some of the people that run the academies over there. And I think that's a, you know, it's, it's a different conversation probably for a different day. But there's a, um, if, if you reverse engineer the, the best teams in Europe in, are in Lithuania, underage and Spain. And they all have academies there. So if you're looking at how they had that, that model for success underage and where the gap is in Europe, the best teams that have these academies, these elite academies. and they have so, academy. so what we mean by academies, because the, the, the term academy in Ireland at the moment is basically a nursery, right? What's an academy there? And as you said, yeah. it, it, it possibly requires another show, but come on. You, yeah. What is the it, model... It, it, there's a very here. simple difference is yeah. they train daily and, and if you talk to the Barking Academy which is the best academy in the UK probably at the moment um, just to again just to finish off the point they, they went from going to one of these European academies competitions where they played Kipke which is probably 
the biggest academy in Russia. They would be Kid Key would be the other big team apart from CSK Moscow, and they lost by seventy points. They kind of adjusted their training, and and the kids stayed on in the program. And four years later, they bet Kip Key. Um, so what they do is they train daily, and they train ball handling daily, they train um, shooting daily. You know, five hundred shots daily. It's not twice a week, and you need uh, an environment where the kids can actually develop at the same rate as the other teams. Otherwise, the gap starts to happen from like fourteen to eighteen, and they're dropping off because they're playing they're playing against that elite competition. So it's one it's one number number one is the training frequency uh, and doing all those things on a daily basis. That, that um, we could maybe you, roll out something like that here. You, you I mean, we don't have anything. Whereas the, the UK yeah. have like maybe eight academies, we have zero. So it, it'd likely get to a point where you need to have a centralized boarding school uh, where it's at least uh, at least kind of training. They do this. Michael Bree's job is the, is the same up in Sweden. That's his kind of role that in, in kind of fostering that. And it gets into this wider point that one about skill development, but then the, the second is that our, our top young players just aren't playing at a high enough level regularly to be able to kind of develop. And it's only by being around the other best players in the country uh, at the like regularly that they can kind of get there. Um, Mark, look, uh, thank you for joining us. I'm going to just one final question because we have another guest we're going to bring in in a minute. But um, so, like you've obviously you've you've travelled around, done a lot of things where you've played, seen lots of great stuff, and just how important is it to try and bookend this this bonus year that you you suddenly have that there's a, a piece of silverware at the end of it that kind of it gives you something where you're back home and you potentially have uh, the ability to get your hands on the trophy. How important would that be to kind of round out the kind of the full journey for you? Yeah, well, I'll be swinging for the fences, so I'll be trying, trying to get trying to get a cup out of it. Yeah, okay. Like I had no plans to kind of come back, so yeah, I'm going to be. Yeah, I'm, look, we're two games away, and we're going to put it in for the next two games. I, I, like, I, yeah, I'd like to win a trophy, of course, without a doubt. So, well, Mark, the way you're going, it's going to be some battle. Um, yourselves in Emporium Cork. Um, I one thing I that I I had a feeling that you could be a party poopers last week is that you were party poopers against Tralee where they brought down an army in that cup semi-final. It's going to be a similar environment. Bell and Colleague are going to have a lot of the home support, but the same as Neptune, you enjoy playing on the road, it looks like, and you may get that. And look, we, we, we want to be fair to everybody, but so we won't say best of luck, but look, we wish you the best by the same token. And uh, thanks very much for coming on the pod, Mark, and well done again. Yeah, appreciate the time, guys, and, and, and keep up the good work. Okay, so, Karen, we're going to switch it up and go over to the, the women's side of the game where we're kind of uh, we're very lucky to be joined by the most famous lady in Irish women's basketball is what she likes to uh, go by on WhatsApp. But uh, Hannah Thornton, Irish International, DC University, uh, you're very welcome. Yeah, that's my name on my WhatsApp, is the most famous female in Irish basketball right now. Hello, how are we? Hi, Hannah, how are we? Um, come here, tell us, what, 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 what was last weekend like before? We'll obviously be going into the big league game, but look, last weekend was a massive game for you. Uh, what was the cup like last weekend against Matthews? Yeah, I mean, it was a great game to win. Um, we, we actually, unfortunately, hadn't played Father Matthews prior to that because when we went down, um, their court was unplayable um, a couple of weeks ago. So we were kind of 
we, we weren't quite sure how they were. Like, obviously, we've been seeing the film, um, which is great. That's on Basketball and the TV. Um, we've been watching all their games and stuff. But um, we know their players, like Shannon, Grania, Amy Murphy, and then they're, um, they have a, a savage European and an American as well. So we kind of had done our our homework without having played them. Um, but it's just great to get a win, especially in Cup. Obviously, there was a lot on the line. And I think personally, myself and Rachel were probably a bit upset from the previous week with the Irish game and losing that. So we kind of probably bought a bit more energy um, and a bit more grit, maybe, I would say, to that game, which has um, more favour. Yeah, so look, let's, be, well, before we go on, we might as well touch on the game. So, uh, so the Netherlands game, obviously, packed out arena is brilliant and yes it's kind of has a it's a, a sore piece and it, I, I guess that's almost a testament to how far it's all come in a relatively short space of time that two or three years ago the idea of playing in a packed out arena and being close with a team like the Netherlands would have been absolutely snatched out of your hand and yes there's a, a sore feeling coming out of the game because it's moved on so fast in that kind of time that you're kind of frustrated or disappointed coming out of it. I mean, you summarise that so well. Like, how great is that to be mad that we lost to the Netherlands? Like, to the Netherlands, I think it's insane. I think a massive thank you has to be um, given to everybody that came. Playing in the arena when it's packed out is amazing. But also, James made this point out, made this point during the week that we were training. Um, usually when you go to the arena, you're playing in a final and like half the crowd is for you and half the crowd is for the opposing team. But this game, like 90% of that crowd was for us. And I, that was massive. That was just like, that really hit home for us. And I think it was incredible to have so many people there and so many young girls there watching us play at such a high level. And to be up going into this, into the half and then to lose by three, is just a, a fairly hard pill to swallow, I think. And We've all been speaking, like the girls have been speaking, and uh, to like we kind of left it for a week, but now we're chatting again, just on things that we need to work on. And I think that's that's the the great thing of basketball and where this team has come from. Like five years ago, we weren't having these conversations. Like five years ago, we weren't going, "What could we have done to have changed that to enable us to have got, walked away with that win?" And um, in a Eurobasket competition, like. It just speaks volumes for the program and where it's come, but it also speaks of what we need to do to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And we get those wins that we deserve. Like we, I feel as our team, we deserved to win that. We had done so much work and the players that we had on that team, if you look from one to 12, like the caliber of each player was excellent. Like they're all playing unbelievably in their own teams in the league right now. Um, and I think that's amazing for basketball. Um, and hopefully it just continues to grow. And I think, the young people that are coming up as well now are just going to add to that team. Like that team is young apart from me. (laughs) That team is really, really young. And I think that's probably the most exciting thing to see is just how well we're going to do. So so on that, like both the, I guess the introspection of looking at it and seeing the young people come up, it's like, what is the next kind of necessary evolution or development within it may it may not be an evolution that it doesn't need to be a huge thing but what needs to happen really for for as you said the team to get the rewards that they deserve and to to start getting some wins 
I mean, a lot of stuff has happened. Like the our sponsor, Gotham Drywall, has enabled us to do so much, and it's great that James got that sponsor. It's been fantastic for us. Yeah, John yeah. Fitzpatrick, just uh, based over in New York, for anyone. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's been huge for our team. That's been really, really big. So unfortunately, that has shown us like the not unfortunate I guess but you do need money in the sport and we've been really really lucky to been able to achieve that sponsorship um, and how does that how does that sponsorship help Hannah what, what, what's the difference between having it and not having it what, what little things are you talking about that it enables you to do I mean we don't have to pay to play for our country every other year every other team without sponsorship you've had to pay at some point and James has been so good trying to eliminate that factor for us um, but I can remember up into like my first Irish team under 16s and like paying for flights or paying for accommodation when you're going away to Europeans and not having to do that is just it's just a worry and like some if I do remember when I was 16 there were some girls who couldn't afford to pay the money to play for their for their country and that to me has always stuck with me and for James just and um, Gotham Drywall to just to eliminate that from us, it's just such a nice thing. Um, and we, do, we definitely don't take it for granted. Absolutely. And we've been able to hire, like, well, not hire, but great staff has come on board with us um, this year, especially um, with our, our, like our coaching staff and everybody that's helping out. But that's just been a big step in the right direction. Um, but with regards to next steps, I mean, we, we play the Czech Republic in February. Um, so I don't think a lot will change until February but like I think it's hard to say what what should happen next but maybe what has happened and what has been great that has happened so far in this in this particular program um, we've been able to have like a sellout arena and have loads of people watching us we've been able to be on TG Cahir and we've been able to compete in the Eurobasket we've been able to lose very very <laughs> very very closely in the Eurobasket and I think people are talking about basketball now and that's what we didn't have a couple of years ago and that's the best thing that's what we want to do we want basketball to be a conversation piece that's how we get people into the sport um, but I think this team somebody said to me it's it's one of the, the it was one of the most stacked teams since like Susan Moran's or something like this years and years ago but like to be compared to people like that, I think that's amazing. Um, and hopefully, when you look back on where basketball was years and years and years ago, and it was this amazing phenomenon that every game was sold out, hopefully that's the trajectory of where we're going to as well and where this program will hopefully go to. And even within the cycle, Hannah, let's say you played the Dutch over there, like like you've been on this program, like you're one of the survivors from, let's say, Cork 18, and then... Um, James took over shortly thereafter and like I remember obviously following you in 2019 where you, you played a series of friendly games out in Estonia and I remember they jumped on you the way that the Dutch and the Czechs might have I remember you being 30-11 down early on and just it's an adjustment and then you beat them the, you, you clawed back up within 10 and beat them the following night by 20 you've that's what it looked like with the Holland game. You were going the same way and they caught you at the end. Yeah. But how do you, what is the adjustment that you go within a, a team that were beating you by 25, let's say, or got out 20 ahead of you at the end of a first quarter? What, what actually, how do you make that adjustment from 
what are the how do you make that adjustment what happens yeah so we've as a team we have to make adjustments for that not to happen again james has been in contact with us like the coaching staff has been in contact with us this week to to hear our feedback and to hear our questions and concerns and that kind of thing about the game and we'll meet again over christmas we'll have a zoom and as a group so as the players and as the coaching staff will meet and we'll go through different areas of the game and we'll be able to voice our opinions and voice our questions together and kind of ask why maybe we didn't make this adjustment. But I think looking back on the game, um, the first half was excellent basketball. Like it was really, really good basketball from our end. Sorry, from our end, it was brilliant. Everything was flowing really, really well. Um, the girls were playing excellently. And one of our... Um, we had gone over what defense we were going to do the whole week prior and it worked tremendously in the first half. Like we couldn't have executed it better. And I think Tim Rice, which we were, re we were really lucky to have Tim for a few days because um, he actually went over and scouted um, the Netherlands and Czech came and came back, the Czech game and came back with loads of stats and he was great to have, but he was telling me how great the defense was and all these particular stats and you, straight after the game it's not the one thing you want to hear straight after a loss but in hindsight it's great to hear that our defense was excellent but then the second half like the Netherlands are they're professional players so they weren't just gonna roll over and let us keep going do you know they we we knew that they were gonna come out with a fight and they did so if you look back on the third quarter we let a lot of threes go in and in fairness, that was our defensive um, game plan. We were going to make sure that we stopped the drive. And if we had to force a three, that was fine. And you can see that in the third quarter that the, unfortunately for us, their threes were going in. So I think that was probably, and we've all spoken to us um, like together as a team. I'm not saying anything we haven't spoken to, but we needed to stop that. So we needed to change that. So some things like that, hindsight is great because we can say okay well in a game again how what should we maybe we should have gone to a zone maybe we should have changed it up ever so slightly but looking back you only learn from your mistakes so that's one thing that we're going to be able to do on when we come together what is, what is different at the so you've gone through the cycle where we didn't have a national team for the early half of your career right when you would have been like in your absolute zenith, but then you, it thankfully it comes about again in 2016, and then you go through the small countries. Now you're at this and you're evolving here. But what is what is different at the let's say this Eurobasket qualification level as opposed to small countries? What is when you're playing against the Czechs? How different is it playing against the Czechs and Dutch as opposed to maybe the teams you're meeting and let's say in Cyprus? Um. Well, for me, it's the size. Like for me, it's the physicality and the size of the post players. And they're all professional basketball players. Like they're playing every single day. They they're a different caliber of athlete. Um, and I think it's a great challenge for us to step up into that Eurobasket realm because we're not professional athletes, but yet we're playing at a level where we can compete with them. Um, but I think definitely it's just the size and physicality is something that we we actually did a pretty good job two weeks ago about that. And we met them fairly well with regards to that. Like we met their arm bar when they were coming into the lane. That's one thing that the coaching staff kept talking to us about defending the post. And um, 
and making sure that we're meeting them with that we're meeting their physicality which as a player I love because <laughs> I love to be physical <laughs> but it's kind of it's that one to five it's maybe um the guards being more physical that they haven't been used to it's not just the post players having that physical game that's probably the biggest change I would say on like in a game situation um but I think also like and in fairness to us as a team like and I, I as, as we said I've been on Irish teams for a long time like the coaching has also stepped up to meet that to meet that kind of caliber of athlete because when you go to, when you go to these games the coaching is also better so our coaching has to be better and I think like we were so prepared for that game and you can see it like we were cool calm collected first half amazing but it was those five six days that we had prior that the coaches just nailed absolutely everything that they needed to and if if you ask any of the girls on like Sunday morning we were chilled because we just felt prepared and to be able to say that we feel prepared going into a Eurobasket game that's that's pretty good I think it's uh no, I, look, I think your your points in general are, are very like they're very accurate. It's I, I I go back to when we were when we were starting to bring this uh, like the national teams back. We when we went to China, we had half of our team. So like the Collins, the Connor Graces, and those had played at international level before, and half of us had never seen it before at, at senior level and. One of the big things that the guys were constantly kind of uh, talk to us about was one was the length that we'd uh, we'd come up against, but two was that that we didn't have time to kind of in in Irish Super League basketball. Oftentimes, you get a half second, a second to kind of make a decision and then go with it. You mm-hmm. absolutely just don't have that in international basketball. It has to kind of flow into the next thing straight away, and yeah. it's. It's why the likes of John Carroll in the men's game, the likes of John Carroll, uh, Connor Grace in the past, uh, all our top, top players are able to get into that mode at international level and just flow into the next thing. Claire Amelia does it very well. And yes, yeah. you, what you see is people who are not playing at that level regularly, you see them, you can almost see them make a decision and then they have to go with it. And by the time you've done that at international level, the defense is already so big and is also adjusted that it's very hard to do. And I think, Karen, going back to your original question of kind of like in a year, what has changed uh, for uh, from the outside looking in? It's like the first away game against the Dutch, we were shell shocked in that first quarter because it's just kind of like we're not at that, we hadn't played at that level. So it's suddenly there's physicality, there's intensity, and it's kind of like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And then it's only by playing regularly that you ever get to that level. And it goes back to the point when we were talking with Mark earlier on of like our younger players is it's just regularly compete at the highest possible level and you naturally adjust to it and you bring yourself up to this level where they're not that scary anymore. It's not that kind of other world. This idea that like, it's funny, it's funny to me that we put, we focus so much on the titles that we give to people that that Dutch team are all pros and we're amateurs. It's like our team is not a team of amateurs. It's like, yes, we may not get paid in the same uh, capacity, but there's professional level players on our team. Like Adele Thornton is a professional level player. If she chose not to be in Ireland, she would be a pro somewhere else. Claire Amelia, exactly the same. And it's almost a mindset of once you get playing against these people regularly, you kind of say, actually, 
they're not that different from us. Yes, they have uh, like they're skilled and they have sides, but once you see it often, uh, then you're kind of able to adjust to it and get to that level pretty quickly. And I think that's what we've seen with the with the guys. That's certainly what I would have seen outside. Well, there, well, there's, there's two things to that. There's, I mean, the Dutch, I think, have four of their five are in the top. You know, they're in the Italian-Spanish league. They're not just in a league. But your point is, like, yeah, we might have players who could play at that level, but they're not. They're not doing it daily. So where do we go? What is the model? Like as much as the guys are manfully making, as you said, it's only being exposed to it and it's less off a shock. You are still against somebody who's getting more reps up, who's, who's doing it. So what is the model that we can do, let's say for the next cycle and, and by the end of the decade that we can be in a Eurobasket? Because we do have the talent, like going back to what Hannah is saying, if you look at it talent-wise, the CVs that players are mounting up, are coming like Orla was back, who's uh, an exceptional player. Like mm-hmm. that, that team in 2009, let's say, that that beat the Dutch, um, because they were playing, uh, they were playing Eurobasket qualifiers all and they finished four and two. Yeah, the current team that we have now is talent wise in that ballpark, but um, they we're, we're just catching up from not having a decade previous of being exposed to that. Um, so where do we go? Um, the, yeah, the talent might be the same as it was, but in terms of getting in the reps like the Dutch are, do we go semi-pro? Do we encourage we players in the States who are unavailable for this cycle uh, because of the time of the year it's on? But like, wh- where what is the next step? That as whatever about the team, what what could the governing body be doing, or what is the model for? the player coming on stream at 20 now and that they're playing at the Eurobasket at 27. I think the easiest thing that probably could be implemented, like probably after this season would be to meet as a team more regularly. That would be probably the easiest thing to do because if you think about it, like Irish teams, they don't meet all the time. So can it be like every couple of weeks, there's no Sunday games and whoever's on the panel trains because like it's great to train together, but the availability for that is so slim. So you might meet in the summer. And before the Eurobasket, we met in the summer and then we didn't meet again until the next summer. You might have an odd Christmas training session, which they started to do. But other than that, it's just the summer programs. Now it's been a bit better and we've had a few ad hoc sessions. But if we, and I was only talking to Mimi Clark about this um, the other evening, like the ability to have like one week, one Sunday a month that all of the squad comes together and trains together, we would gel more so that when it comes to the training camps before a game, we're not like lastminute.com trying to be more of a team. And I think that's probably the easiest thing to implement. Then you can go into, okay, so well, like obviously it's, it's so unfortunate we can't get the girls home from the States. Like, and yeah, like you've Ella who started in Quinnipiac the last day, like all these players that would be on this team. It's, it's really, really difficult. And I'm sure James is frustrated by it, but I think that's a battle that we'll never win. I don't know about girls playing overseas. Um, like Orla, it was great to have Orla back. It was since she's a fab player, but she's even like, she's such a great human and just a great team player to have. And it was great for the young girls to meet her because they've never really played with her. Um, but with regards to getting more players play overseas, I don't know. I don't know 
I just think you, I, don't, I really, really don't know. I think there's a, an urge there for when you play in college to come, black, to come back and play in the national team. And I don't know why for the girls, we're not going to play more. More of us aren't going to go play overseas. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, historically, I guess there's the route to making decent money in women's leagues hasn't existed in Europe. So it hasn't really been an option for people that they're, they're kind of coming back to. It's uh, like <laughs> goodwill hunting, you know, the like Ben Affleck where he goes to Matt Damon is like, someday I want to turn up and you're not here because you've gone off to do something else. It's like, someday you want to go pick up Claire Melia for her Irish training and she's actually gone and played, she's playing in Spain or, or something like that. Yeah, Just yeah. have a year and go experience it and bring it back and be part of the journey that she's on. It, it, that, that's one person, like there's obviously individual circumstances that decide what you're going to do, but it would yeah. be great. To, it would be great to see a couple of people just see it and bring it back and be part of the. Yeah, look, this is realistic and there, this could be the ambition. But James, the your wider question, I think the look the practical piece of the during the season meeting up absolutely that should be looked yeah. at. But I but I think there needs to be a a conversation had and I, we kind of touched on it last week a little bit. Is that Hannah went to the States and is in an environment for four years in the States where she like her her pathway is kind of mapped out and she develops on a certain uh, route. We have to decide what happens to people who don't go to the States. How do we map that out for them to help them to continue developing? And then subsequently, anyone who comes back from the States, that it's not just gone. Yeah, you played Division One in the States. Fair play to you. Now play Super League and you're on your own devices to, to keep going at 23 and just got like let's see where you end up we have to find a way to be able to create a structure that is almost a high performance overall program that looks at people in ireland who are playing within the irish leagues of how do we continue to help and support them in whatever it might be hannah's work is in nutrition so whether it's the nutrition side of it whether it's high performance that it do, it shouldn't matter in my opinion whether someone goes to college in ucd UUJ over in NUIG. Does, does, this, does this bring up Connor? This is kind of performance director, isn't it? Role? Yeah. And the, and, and goes beyond, let's say, the realm of Mark Keenan and James Weldon at the senior, because they, they have to pick a 12, albeit, you know, different girls have been in the loop, Hannah, I'm sure it's the same mm -hmm. with Mark. But going back to, as you said, someone in profile, like that, that is. That's that's someone who could oversee that, isn't it? Like that, yeah. like that's that ties in with a strategy, as you're saying. What are we doing? But to to someone to coordinate that, like it's it was in the last strategic review, a performance director, and we haven't had one, you know, yeah. since. You know, so, um, but that's the way to go. You think, Connor? That, that we have, yeah. Like I, I think the ultimate endpoint with it has to be a, a point around that if you have. Uh, someone between the ages of 20, 26, it shouldn't matter whether they are playing for DCU Mercy or whether they're in UUJ or anything else that, yes, they're going to get the coaching they get within their club and that environment, and that's uh, really important, but that they also get a wider support that kind of recognises, look, you may not get paid for this in, in a different way, but at the same time, we recognize that you're one of our elite players and that you need to be looked after in whatever way we can. And whether that's as simple as they can get into a gym for free 
that yeah. could be that could be as simple as it is. But it, it does need that helicopter view of getting people to buy into that to, because at the moment the negative in, in Irish basketball is that we're so parochial that we all operate within our little silos, that we're all independent of each other, and then it's only when you ever get to come together, lastminute.com, as Hannah says, where you're kind of going, right, let's try and merge all these pieces together. And we're solve, we're trying to solve problems in that space before we ever get to the problems of the fact that the other team are fully professional and all these other things. So if we can solve those baseline problems as much as possible, which is logistics more than anything else, yeah. then it may give us a platform to be able to compete at a higher level. And then there's a very right. basic thing. Like, Hannah, you went and played in the States. You're now playing for a club and program that have that's a third-level institution in DCU. Is the American experience one a pathway? Is it, is it the way to go? Or... Is the option of going to a third level here, scholarship playing, Super League? Does it depend on the individual or is the American model nearly the one that should be the one that should be encouraged the most? I think I'm probably coming from a biased point of view because if I talk to other people that have experienced an American um like collegiate career that didn't enjoy it and but I would 100% say that is definitely a pathway that players should explore more just because I had a wonderful experience. Um, but I think it's very, very individual. Um, and I think it, complete, like, it completely depends on the person if they want to go or if like, they have the ability to go. If we could push that more, I would 100% be in favour for that. I think... Not only does it develop you as a player, but it kind of develops you as a as a person and as a young person as well. Um, and it's just the level of coaching, the level of strength conditioning, what you learn about the game of basketball in those four short years will stand with you for forever. Um, but it it makes you into that kind of elite athlete. That is what we what is what is needed for international teams. So uh, you kind of develop this like higher standard and Adele and I have spoken about it. Like, like even like we're always have to be like 10 minutes early to things because in college, like if you were only 10 minutes early, you were late like this kind of thing, like it's ingrained into you, but you just take everything seriously. You take, you take your strength conditioning seriously. You take your extra shooting seriously. You take warm ups, everything because it's just ingrained with you. And if you don't, it's going to be miserable. Look, it, it, look it's, it's in America, which is such a hotbed of competition. You're playing, but by the same token, take take that out of it. it. It's also because it's not here at home, and it ties in maybe to the conversation we were having earlier with Mark Connor. Like, like I I I was I interviewed Garrett McGuire last month, and off the record we were talking about Hannah would know well his daughters who played with her for Ireland, and he says it breaks my heart, man. It breaks my heart that they're in Texas and they're not here. And should there be the option of that, there's something like that more here at home or is is that something we can ever aspire to and it's unrealistic and therefore if you want to be exposed to that environment that hannah's talked about then you do go abroad or yeah, should there I be think, something like that here i think there should be like a hybrid of what connor was saying and then something else maybe for like when you're coming out of secondary school if you don't want to go to the states like i don't know if that falls under the elite the epc and 
they're trying to set up centers throughout the country and I'm not I think it would be a separate program to that but to have the ability to have somebody else other than your club coach at that time maybe have access to strength conditioning like it's just more kind of maybe academies but I there's never a time that there's never an age that you can't get better and I think sometimes we can fall into a trap of like you're a good player but do you progress into the great player that you can be like I met Mark Ingle a couple of years ago before I before I moved from Colester to to DCU and I'll never forget this conversation but what, what age was I was I 27 I don't know um and he was like I can make you better you're not you're not done yet like you still have and he he's like he had a full plan areas that I can improve on he was like you need to keep going and need to get better and I think you have to keep being challenged and sometimes players can fall into a trap be like I'm a savage underage player but like us maybe that's a bit rude to say or mean to say but like you need to be able to keep challenging them and keep getting them better so maybe that kind of different idea that Connor you're talking about will be that area that they can get better if they don't go to the states or they don't go anywhere else it's a, it's you, you it's, made this point last week, Connor. You made that yeah. point last week. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, and I guess it comes uh, partially from my own uh, background. Is that uh, like I wasn't as good a, an underage player. Um, I was like solid, but I was, uh, wasn't as good. And we had a prep school in Virginia that I was going to. All right, will I go down that route? Because it had always been the idea of oh, will I go to the states and everything else and. I, I made the decision that I didn't want to do it and I wanted to stay at home. But at the same time, I had a thing in my own head that I wasn't kind of satisfied that me as an underage player was, that's me kind of summed up. So as an adult, I became a much better adult player than I ever was. And unfortunately, there's so few players in this country who you could say the same thing about, that they're a better adult player than they were underage player. If we tend to know who exactly is going to be good in 10 years' time. And that is, I think, speaks to this issue within the wider system that you're kind of getting into a space that unless you're in the right program with the right coach, um, that you kind of fall by the wayside and people accept a certain amount within Ireland. And um, it's it's how do you address that? And equally, on one of the issues, that, and this is a, a wider issue, um, I think particularly in the women's game is that you may only have three or four coaches where people think that that's possible. And then you're getting into a place where the same two or three clubs have been the most competitive and winning everything for the last X amount of years. Whereas in the men's league, you're seeing it slightly differently where there's a way bigger variance of who's able to compete and who what's happening. And I don't know whether that's, part of that same conversation or whether it's part of just the European thing balances out the men's league in a way that isn't possible in the women's league but it's something that uh, I think for the leagues in general like I, I think basketball Ireland's getting to a point where there's going to be a new strategic plan anyway yeah. and I think what needs to happen is that a, rather than just have these headline targets that there needs to be a subset of those that says what are we doing with the national leagues? Like, what is success over the next ten years, whatever amount uh, uh, years, and what needs to happen for the uh, for the league to progress in whatever areas we want to do? And same thing for the national teams. And uh, there's going to be crossover between those two things. It's inevitable. It has to happen. And let's have that conversation now while we can't have it, and we're at the cusp of trying to do some of these things. 
And uh, it's like, I, I'm hopeful that that will happen. I'm, I'm not sure where that, you know, what stage of the process that is or whatever else, but hopefully there's enough people who are sitting around the table that says, look, we need to really have a conversation here rather than just kind of roll from year to year, trying to look after our own interests to try and win this year's trophy or whatever else it might be. Um, Hannah just bringing us to the weekend and it was just, um, I actually caught up with Mark Scanlon when I was down in Cork at the weekend. I saw him and you're, he, it was, he's had an amazing record. He was saying this will be the first weekend he won't be involved in the cup semi-final. They were obviously beaten by Trinity Meteors. That's the nature of the cup. A big one is already gone. But a big game is coming up. Look, the two, going back to what Connor said, look, historically, DCU and Glenmire over the last 15 years, you know, along with UL, had a, were very competitive for seven or eight years. Not so the last six years, obviously. They're not in the Super League. But they're the two constants. And Hannah, you've been part of the rivalry. And you just reminded me also that the format keeps changing, but it's whoever finishes top of the league, right? This isn't a playoff. No, yeah, yeah. So this is a massive game, right? Tell me yeah. about how... Tell me about what it's like the week leading into a Glanmire DCU game and how you're looking at this one. I can't tell you everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, like we mark it in our calendar because, A, we know that Mark might be on edge that week because Mark and Mark are friends. Um, and B, we just have to bring the energy because the training sessions might... Not that they're... not they'll be tougher, but there might be, there'll be a little bit more um, specific, maybe. I think the rivalry between the two of them is fantastic. I love it because I think it brings up, it elevates the game. Um, and I think there's always just such a want from both teams to win, no matter what. Um, and <clears throat> we've been looking at Glenmire and Glenmire have been playing really, really well. Um, We've also been playing well. We've had a couple of losses that we, by like literally one point, that we're still very frustrated about. So we're going down to win on Saturday. Um, and I'm sure Glenmire feel the same. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of... Yeah, I can't really say too much because I can't give you my schedule. No, but, but, but just, a bit of, <laughs> just a bit of context. Like I, I think it's one of the great rivalries in Irish sport and particularly Irish women's sport. Like I, I like we were having this chat with Kieran last week, uh, Connor about how, you know, as an association, and it's Hannah made the point that it's brilliant the streaming service it allows people yeah. to watch, it allows people to scout. So that's been a huge development. But that there's certain games should be targeted for a national audience. Like I remember in some of those years where you had Glenmire, DCU, UL. I remember like there was a cup final UL Glenmire, and it was the best sport you could get. Yeah. At that weekend in, in Ireland, like, and you know, I do think that a DCU Glanmire game is is a special game for across Irish basketball, and you know that it, that for it even to get us, it's great that it's it's in Neptune, Hannah, and it is, um, yeah. like that it, it's it's worthy of that setting, and I would say that now, and we can't have it as as a cup game because Trinity Meteors has uh, split that and it's great to see some other teams coming along Connor it has evolved slightly since UL came down I suppose Glam DCU were going through a bit of a transition then they won their cup and w there are other teams knocking around now that are, are edging mm -hmm. in but look these are the big two these, these these two are always there 
and it is one thankfully it is uh, uh, available on stream and it, it's the one that I'll be tuning into this weekend anyway yeah. so and them beating us in the cup we still have a bit of a chip on our shoulder so there's that uh, you've given us that much Hannah that's enough <laughs> well um, I think like that was a classic game there you go like that was a back and forth game god Hannah that's another one that you had a lead in and they they, they started hitting trees didn't they Anya got hot and yeah I still remember vividly Um, but like Glamire as anybody can see they have one of the best guards in the country right now Um, and their international players their Irish players are fantastic so like I think we do, we match up pretty well. Um, but uh, they've been playing really, they've been playing super basketball. Yeah, but it is, it is one of those where you bring out the best in each other and, and, and the best in sports. Yeah. So look, that's that's one to watch. Look, Hannah, thanks very much for joining us. And um, again, look, you've been an anchor with that program, with the international women's program, and you know what you're doing. It's you're taking loans, but you you keep going forward. You know, you, you're keep going forward, keep going forward, and not back, keep going forward. And it's you've been a, a key part of that. So, look, well done, and uh, thanks very much for joining us on the pod. All right. Thank you for having us. This is great. Okay. Thank you. Right. Thanks, thanks, Hannah. Hannah. So, to a wrap, I was saying that, that that's that's the big one, I think, you know, because you no, know, we're saying that in the men's league, there's teams jockeying, pro clubs like Neptune got losing games. Um, Tralee are fighting for their lives to, to get back in there um, but the women's league because of the nature of it where it's whoever finishes top um, that's a massive game don't I? yeah no it's, it's huge and uh, look th- this season there's certainly it looks like there's four teams who are kind of separating themselves out from the rest with Waterford's um, you got Glenmire, you got uh, Meteors, and, and then DCU. So, like every game is is critical there, and you're you're getting into a stage like like Kieran was talking. Uh, one of the first years that Tralee were competing for the league, they were kind of having to look at all Temple Oak's schedule, where everyone's kind of really focusing on a game that's coming up because they're kind of going right. How, how's this going to impact the the league? And this is a, a big weekend for it because you have that uh, the Mercy uh, game, but then you also have a repeat of the of last week's cup game between Waterford and uh, Liffey Celtics. Uh, Waterford only won that game by I think five or six points, and it's it it's up, was a high scoring game. Yeah, high scoring game. It's up in Liffey again, and uh, like. We were Yanis would always have. Uh, we fell foul of it two years in a row in the cup final. It's very hard to beat a team two weeks in a row, especially like a, a solid team. So a solid team like Liffey with a good coach, Carl Cobride at home, they're going to be kind of smarting. And will they have learned more from the loss than uh, Waterford learned from the win? We'll see. So um, no, it's, it's another good weekend and lots of talking points and. Uh, Look, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going and uh, hopefully it's a good weekend of action and we'll be back next week to, to discuss some kind of wider things that are happening in the game again. Yeah, exactly. All right, so that's it for this right. week, everybody. Thank you.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.